Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to Straight Talking English. I am your host as ever, Catherine, STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.co.uk. You can buy the book that goes along with this series. It's called Frankenstein, The Full Context and you can buy it on straighttalkingenglish.co.uk forward slash books as well if you're there there's a little tab that says support the project you can donate some money or sign up as one of my patreons either way it's pretty awesome massive thank you to my voice actor for today colin he is the other half of team tc experiences the first half of which was terry last week he will be reading percy shelley and if you search up team tc experiences airbnb or they have a Facebook group as well. You have the chance to hang out with these very fine individuals, learn a bit more about them, have some great experiences in London, and find the faces behind the voices. So, as you may have guessed by the title, we are on part two of the life of Mary Shelley. We left her at the party getting freaked out by her husband seeing eyeballs on boobies and generally trying to write a book we've all tried to write a book it takes blooming ages and it's quite difficult i mean i've tried i've tried seven times and before that i tried to do naNoWriMo a few times we do a novel in a month and it is not easy so massive content warning on this one this episode will involve two separate discussions of suicide if that's something that's likely to cause you distress fast forward when i re-give you this content warning because both of them are quite sad just letting you know now so after the party where she had this inspiration this dream to write frankie frankenstein after hanging out with byron and her husband mary shelley went back to the uk in september of that year as appears to be a theme in her life she was preggers again because she spends the whole time basically pregnant they moved to bath and as settled as they ever get because they never really settle in a place they get this place in bath they actually are there for a few months she's working on frankenstein but she's also reading reading for pleasure as people say at school are you reading for pleasure and i'm like half the time nah i'm doing research guys if we look at her reading list at this point is pretty interesting actually she kept a journal or notes on all of her reading lists some of which were set by her husband and some of which she just chose to read because she liked it she read two books by samuel richardson called pamela and clarissa clarissa is an epistolary novel which means it's told via letters It tells the tragic story of a young woman, Clarissa Harlow, whose quest for virtue is continually thwarted by her family. The Harlows are a recently wealthy family whose preoccupation with increasing their standing in society leads to obsessive control of their daughter, Clarissa. It's one of the longest novels in the English language. According to Wikipedia, it's currently 14th on the list of 100 greatest British novels. And in 2013, The Guardian said it was among the 100 best novels written in English. I haven't read it. Probably should have, to be honest, if it's got these good ratings. Potentially, yes. Pamela, on the other hand, is another epistolary novel published in 1740, which is considered the first true English novel. Its conduct 
literature basically she oh god it's rough she is a 15 year old maid servant called pamela andrews her employer mr b a wealthy landowner makes unwanted and inappropriate advances towards her after the death of his mother pamela strives to reconcile her strong religious training with her desire for the approval of her employer in a series of letters and later in the novel journal entries all addressed to her impoverished parents after various unsuccessful attempts at seduction a series of sexual assaults and an extended period of kidnapping the rakish mr b eventually reforms and makes pamela a sincere proposal of marriage oh so lovely wonderful so if you just wait long enough the guy that assaults you and tries to kidnap you will actually like you all right all right, all right. we're going to ignore the message because it is 18th century but this subsection of her reading might give us a clue about why she decided to put the whole novel in frankenstein in the form of letters monologues notes diaries it all seems to come back to this influence of richardson she also read a book called glenarvan and this is worlds colliding it was written by lord byron's ex called lady caroline lamb she's the one that first called him mad bad and dangerous to know and she by all accounts is a very dramatic person glenarvan is about an innocent young bride who is corrupted leading to ruin and death it's set during the irish rebellion of 1798 and it's kind of a low-key satire on byron but we have again innocence corrupted something beautiful and good becomes bad maybe like our monster the last thing on her reading list was no 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 right 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 the gentleman of la mancha so i always said don quixote but i actually went on a date with a guy from venezuela once and with most of my dates we end up talking about literature and then they don't call me because i've been talking about literature for like half an hour he told me it is pronounced don quixote like a hot donkey don quixote d-o-n-q-u-i-x-o-t-e it is considered a founding work of western literature also potentially labeled the first modern novel and it is considered to be the greatest literary work ever the main thing that we can take out of this book is we've got this chivalry we've got this chivalric romance we've got this kind of undercurrent of nationalism it's again this conflict between what is the real world in front of me and what is the world of my imagination what is science what is fantasy we can extend that from don quixote some critics say it's also about insanity and we can argue that some of victor frankenstein's assertions are also based on insanity big novels to be honest big things to be doing while you're reading and you're trying to write frankenstein i mean like come on mary she was also reading emile by jean-jacques rousseau which we've already mentioned the tale of a young person growing up in nature having innocence and growing from that like the monster on his own in the woods yeah so we all know this from her diary there is one bit in october in her diary which is quite worrying it says red courteous finished the memoirs draw in the evening a very alarming letter comes from fanny shelley immediately goes to bristol we sit up for him till two in the morning when he returns he brings no news october the 10th shirley goes again to bristol obtains more certain trace 
Friday, October 11th, he sets off to Swansea, work and dread. Saturday, October the 12th, he returns with the worst account, a miserable day. Two letters from Papa, by morning and work in the evening. Fanny, who's mentioned in this understated argument, is Mary's older half-sister, Fanny Imlay. So while all this is going on, with the Shelleys and the party and the goth stuff, the Godwin family start having financial problems again. Like I said, this is a theme, they're always skint. They started to feel that the unmarried Fanny was a bit of a burden on them. She should have been her husband's responsibility by now, and she's not. She's like using up their food, using up their heating, being an unmarried spinster. I mean, come on. They considered sending her away to live with distant relatives in Ireland. Unsurprisingly, Fanny took this personally. I mean, how could you not? She decided to run away to Swansea in Wales. We're not quite sure why she picked Swansea, but this is where it gets really awkward. One particular theory that comes out is this was the place her family sent her away to when she had also fallen in love with Percy Shelley. Some people think that when Shelley first met the Godwins when he was giving her this loan, it might actually have been Fanny he was interested in rather than Mary. He is such a dirty dog. So her parents realised that if this married man was flirting with her, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Stay away, Fanny Imlay. Problem. And they sent her away to Swansea, keep her out of the way. Unfortunately, Shelley then seems to have turned his attention to Mary, who is fine with the secret romance and keeping it under wraps, right? And if this is true, which a lot of historians are thinking yes, Shelley is a blooming terrible person who's working his way through them Godwin sisters. I'm like, really, really, Shelley, honestly. One thing Mary doesn't mention in that journal entry is that Fanny went to Bath to see them, but Mary was either out or ignoring the knocks on the door. Before she left, Fanny had sent, had given a note to her dad, and once he realised what this note was implying, that she's running away and was upset, he was trying to track her down. William Godwin went to pick up Shelley, and they both went to Swansea together. How Ever. Content warning. Fanny was already dead from an overdose of laudanum at this point. Her suicide note read, I have long determined that the best thing I could do was to put an end to the existence of a being whose birth was unfortunate and whose life had only been a series of pain to those persons who have hurt their health in endeavouring to promote her welfare. Perhaps the to hear of my death will give you pain, but you will soon have the blessing of forgetting that such a creature ever existed. Alright, she says unfortunate birth and creature that is so close to lines in frankenstein maybe and i'm thinking yes her sister and her sister's death is playing on mary's mind and it's not just her sister's death william godwin's frankly terrible advice because like every man in this is awful was 
let's move on as soon as possible. Mary Wollstonecraft, who was Mary Shelley's mum, had attempted suicide, as had Percy Shelley. Whether he actually meant it or not, or was just being dramatic, we don't know because it's anecdotal. Godwin's response to all of this, all of this drama, was we need to be rational. They are gone, draw a line under this, let's go. Fanny was buried in an unmarked grave, and no one ever talked about her again. The official line was that she was taken ill while she was travelling, sadly died in Wales. And can you imagine, I mean, I know that life is different a century and a half ago, but Mary Shelley is still a teenager, and her dad and her husband, who almost definitely tried to seduce her sister, are saying, let's not talk about your sister who died by her own hand. And then she's looking at this note. There is no way, no way that mental distress could not have been in her head when she was writing Frankenstein because she is still trying to write it at this point. You'd think after all that horror there would be a break but no because this is an epically bad year for the Shelleys. On the 4th of December Shelley's legal wife Harriet, remember her? Married to Shelley with two kids and he'd hit her up for a loan earlier. Content warning. Harriet had completed suicide by drowning in the serpentine at Hyde Park. She was pregnant at the time of her death and she had a new boyfriend. Like they weren't married but there was, she was seeing someone and it was widely assumed that he was the father of her baby. However, her suicide note was addressed to Percy Shelley. The public, when this came out, assumed that Shelley had a hand in her death, like he had her bumped off or something. I'm not putting it past Shelley to have also been the father of child number three. Bear in mind, Harriet is also very young at this point, early 20s. We know that Shelley was upset when she was married. He's put it in letters when she was buried. He's put it in letters that he was devastated by this. They did have a custody battle for the two children. Shelley did pursue custody of them, but it doesn't seem like he put a lot of effort into it, to be honest, and Harriet's parents ended up raising them. On these short trips down to London to deal with the, the estate, deal with the press, deal with the custody thing, Mary and Percy got married. They literally just showed up in their regular clothes, showed up to a church, we're doing this call. The second that Percy put a ring on it, William Godwin decided to uh, be a little bit nicer to him. He hadn't just like seduced and defiled his daughter. He is actually part of the family and he is actually serious about her. Things seem to thaw. By the time she enters her second trimester of her pregnancy, Mary is hardcore working on Frankenstein. Shelley is supporting her. Some critics think he actually wrote Frankenstein and I don't think he did. I don't think there's any way that he realistically could have put in the female perspective that he does on birth considering his attitude to his children and also Mary. There's also a lot of evidence and I'll go into this in the Victor Frankenstein episode that he is the basis for Victor Frankenstein in not in a good way and there's no way he would have been like I'm a loser. We do know that he proofread and edited a lot 
bit of the book and i've got my editor lover got my give her a congratulations in my book give her a thank you she's a gem however i do know it is my book despite her tremendous help and i would say urging but it's mostly like tasering to get me to do it so shelly did have a hand in it it is mary's work as far as i know baby clara was born during the editing phase of her manuscript in her second draft. Mary almost certainly suffered from postnatal depression while completing her editing and redrafting and some people think that accounts for how gloomy the book is. We can see other works of Mary Shelley's which she has completed when she's been having a depressive episode and ones where she hasn't and to be honest you really can tell so we're thinking that her depression has leaked into the book she's writing by 1818 frankie is released initially anonymously people start thinking oh it is shelley shelley percy shelley's written it some of the reviews are pretty good some of them aren't i'll give you a couple an uncouth story in the taste of the german novelists trenching it in some degree on delicacy setting probability at defiance and leading to no conclusion either moral or philosophical in some passages the writer appears to favor the doctrines of materialism but a serious examination is scarcely necessary for so eccentric a vagary of this of the imagination as this tale presents and i mentioned this in the gothic episode people have got it in their head that writing needs to be for like a moral purpose like you read this and it makes you a better person because frankenstein has the ambiguity the gothic like boundary crossing doesn't really teach you anything aside from don't sew up their body parts into a person and then again we know that anyway that's the problem that reviewer has next one this is a very bold fiction and and did not the author in a short preface make a kind of apology we should almost pronounce it to be impious like anti-religion we hope however the writer had the moral in view which we are desirous of drawing from it that the presumptive works of man must be frightful vile and horrible ending only in discomfort and misery to himself but will all our readers understand this should not an author who has a moral end in view point out rather the application which may be more generally understood we recommend, however, to our fair readers, who may peruse a work which, from its originality, excellence of language, and peculiar interest, is likely to be very popular, to draw from it that meaning which we have cited above. And yeah, I'm going to get onto this because this is one of my hills I'm going to die on. If everyone reads Frankenstein as being a warning about science, don't take your science too far, you're gonna end up being killed in the Arctic and chased by your own creation. And I don't think it is. I think this is a common misconception and I will die on this hill, go fight me people, but I'll come on to that a bit more. This reviewer is saying explicitly it's a warning about science. However, in order to tell people that he didn't write it, Percy Shelley released a review and I would like to believe that to Mary this was the most important review of all. The novel of Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, is undoubtedly, as a mere story, one of the most original and complete productions of the age. We debate with ourselves in wonder as we read it, what could have been the series of thoughts, what could have been the peculiar experiences that awakened them, which conducted in the author's mind to the astonishing combinations of motives and incidents, and the startling catastrophe which composed this tale. 
there are perhaps some points of subordinate importance which prove that it is the author's first attempt, but in this judgment which requires a very nice discrimination, we may be mistaken, for it is conducted throughout with a firm and steady hand. The interest gradually accumulates and advances towards the conclusion with the accelerated rapidity of a rock rolled down a mountain. We are held breathless with suspense and sympathy, and the heaping up of incident on incident and the working of passion out of passion. We cry, hold, hold, enough, but there is yet something to come, and like the victim whose history it relates, we think we can bear no more, and yet more is to be borne. Pelion is heaped on Ossa and Ossa on Olympus. We climb Alp after Alp until the horizon is seen, blank, vacant and limitless, and the head turns giddy and the ground seems to fail under the feet. This novel thus rests its claim on being a source of powerful and profound emotion. The elementary feelings of the human mind are exposed to view, and those who are accustomed to reason deeply on their origin and tendency will perhaps be the only persons who can sympathise to the full extent in the interest of the actions which are their result. But, founded on nature as they are, there is perhaps no reader who can endure anything beside a new love story who will not feel a responsive string touched in his inmost soul. The sentiments are so affectionate and so innocent, the characters of the subordinate agents in this strange drama are clothed in the light of such a mild and gentle mind the pictures of domestic manners are everywhere of the most simple and attaching character. The pathos is irresistible and deep. Nor are the crimes and malevolence of the single being who, though indeed withering and tremendous, the offspring of any unaccountable propensity to evil, but flow inevitably from certain causes fully adequate to their production. They are the children, as it were, of necessity and human nature. In this, the direct moral of the book consists, and it is perhaps of the most important and the most universal application of any moral that can be enforced by example. Treat a person ill, and he will become wicked. Required affection with scorn, let one be selected, for whatever cause, and the refuse of his kind, divide him, a social being from society, and you impose upon him the irresistible obligations, malevolence and selfishness. It is thus that, too often in society, those who are best qualified to be its benefactors and its ornaments are branded by some accident with scorn, and changed, by neglect and solitude of heart, into a scourge and a curse. However, by the time all of these re reviews even come out, Mary and Persley are gone again, this time back to Italy. Within three years, Percy too would be dead by suicide. Maybe. People now are thinking it was like an accident. He tried to sail a boat in a storm while drunk. But the traditional line is that he did take his own life. So we're kind of on the fence about that. Now, this is normally where biographies of Mary Shelley stop. As if, like, Frankenstein, the first work which is recognised as being science fiction. That's it. That's it. She's gone. Nah. Done. And it really, really isn't. She was a widow at 24. Frankenstein had become a huge success. She made up with her father, William Godwin, and wrote her own novels, including Valperga and The Last Man. The Last Man is arguably one of the first post-apocalyptic novels, and it is very much based on her dad's philosophy. She was a political radical 
her entire life. She was a very political lady. She was devoted to her only surviving child, Percy, who was born the year after Frankenstein was written because she's constantly preggers. Now, Percy had had his problems with his dad. His dad had pretty much disowned him, and then Shelley had been like, yeah, well, I don't even want your inheritance or your friendship anyway, you jerk and like disowned himself the rest of the way. There was officially a bit of a problem because he was entitled to this money as his dad was a posho MP. Mary felt like this guy's grandson, Thomas Shelley's grandson, deserved a piece of the pie. She successfully fought him in court to get her son the recognition he deserved. And ironically, the reason that I even did an episode on Love's Philosophy is partly due to Mary Shelley's campaigning. She collected her husband's poems. She fought for them to be included in the canon of great writers. She tirelessly promoted her husband's work. And he probably would have been forgotten. He definitely wouldn't have been on the GCSE syllabus if it hadn't been for Mary's efforts. Her last published work though, is a travelogue. It's called Rambles in Germany and Italy. And she returns to Villa Diodati, which is where she got the idea for Frankenstein. And she says, was I the same person who had lived there, the companion of the dead? I looked on the inanimate objects that had surrounded me, which survived the same aspect as then, to feel that all my life since was but an unreal phantasmagoria, like ghost show. The shades that gathered round the scene were the realities. And she's the survivor. She's outlived Byron. She's outlived Shelley. She would never really escape from the events of that night in the villa because it made her name as a writer. Kind of gave her what she wanted. But it was also the place where her friends and her husband died. She lived until the age of 53, which is actually pretty good going. And she died very peacefully in her sleep from a brain tumour. She was actually tremendously cool. She never compromised on her own beliefs. Frankenstein, as much as anything, is a memorial to this really remarkable woman who channeled what was going through her head and channeled this zeitgeist, the spirit of this age, this philosophy, this closing of the Enlightenment period, this closing of the high Gothic, and like wraps it all up in a little bow and makes it into the book Frankenstein. And I never really appreciated that. It's story of my life, innit? I never really appreciated that until I did this project. And it is utterly tremendous that a teenage girl could have produced this. Like, in a point where she had so much stacked against her. So, right, that is it. That is it on the life of Mary Shelley. I'm gonna be coming back to you on the science behind Frankenstein. It's probably gonna be a two-parter next week. It's gonna be epic. Thank you very much for listening. If you've got any questions about Frankenstein, hit me up, str8talkenglish on Twitter, straighttalkenglish.co.uk to buy my book that goes along with this series, Frankenstein The Full Context. You can also get it on Amazon if you search up The Full Context, or Frankenstein The Full Context, or Frankenstein Context. It seems to be the only one that comes up, which is wicked. Thank you very much to our voice actor, Colin. Thank you very much to me for doing this episode and being your host as ever. I will see you next week to get a little bit scientific.